right. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to First Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17. Um, we are going to be looking, so this is, this, um, message this morning is, is a break from our Hebrews series. We've, we, um, we wrapped up, uh, the first section of Hebrews last week and we will come back to that. We'll keep coming back to that. We're going to be in Hebrews a long time. Um, but this is one of your breaks from Hebrews. So we're going to be looking at, um, at a really neat little vignette in the life of David this morning. And one of the things that we like to do with our, our, our series is in between, take a break and look at a story of prayer. And this particular story of prayer is, is teaching us the prayer of thanksgiving. Um, something you may notice in our, um, we, in church world, we would call it our liturgy, which is just the, the rhythm and flow of our services, that we have different scripture readings throughout our services. We, we have at the beginning of our worship service, we have a, a, a passage that, from Scripture that teaches us adoration, how to adore and just lift God's name high, because that's very much a lot of what we do in our singing. And we also ought to pray in that way. And we can pray a lot of those scriptures to just adore God's name. And then we have our other scripture readings in the middle where we, uh, we, we look at passages that encourage us to pray um, prayers of repentance and confession. And we always follow that with an assurance of pardon, which is a reminder from Scripture that our pardon has been secured and the work is done through Christ. We can be forgiven. And so we, we practice a prayer of thanksgiving along with that. And that's something we're going to look at this morning. And then at the end, we, we often close with a prayer of supplication, which is just supplication means to ask for something. Um, God, we've learned from your word this morning, help us to go and do. Give us the strength, give us the empowering, give us, you know, through your Holy Spirit, enable us to do the things that we have learned this morning. And so those are prayers of supplication. And so this morning we're going to look at a, a, a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving from the life of David in First Chronicles chapter 17. Um, we we had a we had a series recently where we went through um, a lot of First uh, Samuel, and we and we saw a lot of things through the. We, so we, you have a little bit of context if you've been here for a while of the life of David and some of the things that he went through. This passage in particular takes place early in his ascension to the throne. He has recently taken the throne and is now king. Um, he has just come through a long period of his life, about a decade, on the run um, through you know, perilous times, um, God um, sustaining him through all these times when, when Saul is chasing him and he's almost, you know, on the, he's, he says at one point to Jonathan, there is, a, there is but a step between me and death. And God carried him through faithfully through all of these, all of these things and, um, and now he sits on the throne. And, and, we, and we find ourselves here in, in chapter 17. Have you ever, in your life, been given a great gift? Um, 
as as I as I thought about you know this this what I was going to be teaching on this morning, and trying to think of an example of a of a time when I've been given a a great gift, it has been really hard for me to think beyond the last year. I've been given some really cool gifts over the years, but nothing has even come close to the outpouring of support and I mean whether it's financial support, whether it's the meals y'all have brought, whether it's you know you know just the willingness to pitch in and 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 take things over um, so that the the ministry could move forward. I mean there's so many ways in which we my, my family has been given just an incredible gift in so many ways over the last year that I, I don't even know I, I literally can't even come up with some pithy little story of some lesser thing that I've been given. Um, and and the, the, I guess as we talk about thanksgiving, there's just this, this attitude that when you've been given a great gift, it's just like automatic, or should be, there's just thankfulness. Oh, sure. It, and it comes out in a lot of ways, sometimes funny ways, like the, oh, you shouldn't have done that. No, I won't accept that. You know, there's the, and we could go into all kinds of um, reasons why that might be. And I, anyway, I, I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to get into all of that. I, I think that it, it is so easy to take those kind of postures sometimes, but there's a reality that like, there's a need, a great need that I have. And Someone has met it. What can I say but thank you? I don't know if you have something like that in your life. Um, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you do. Um, but let's let's read this morning as we as we think about and talk about Thanksgiving. Let's read here. First Chronicles chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16, and we will do the, the previous part of the chapter here in a, in a bit, but let's start in, in verse 16. So then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes. Okay, you might need a little bit of context. What he's thanking God for. God has just proclaimed to him through the prophet Nathan what we call the Davidic covenant. The covenant promise that God made with his servant, King David, that one of David's direct descendants will sit on the throne forever. The, the, the only rightful king that's kings of kings of Israel going forward from David forward will always be a direct descendant of David. And in that, it goes not only will someone, different people from your line, always be on the throne, but one person directly descended from you will sit on the throne forever. And that is a that is a looking forward promise to the Messiah Jesus Christ, who's the rightful king of the universe and everything. That 
the now and and in that in that oh, anyway I try not to be too scattered here but remember we talked about um, talked about how we progressively learn more and more and more as we go throughout scripture about God and about who this rescuer is that he promised back in the garden of eden i will send you know the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake someday there will be a rescuer that will come and that's all you know in Eden. And then you learn more. You, oh, it's going to come from Abraham. And then here you learn, oh, it's going to come from David. And he will be king. And so, he, so he's just received this covenant promise from God. And this is David's response. He goes in and he sits before the Lord and says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? This was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things, in driving out nations before your people when you redeemed from Egypt, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever. And do as you have spoken, and your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you, and now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed, and it is blessed forever. Amen. There is so much to unpack in there, and we are not going to be able to unpack all of it. And in a minute, we're going to look back at the the the. the previous part of chapter 17. I, I want to I caution us as we look at Scripture and we learn from Scripture that we approach it rightly and we understand it rightly. And what I mean by that is there is much in his prayer that we can emulate and ought to. There's much that we can learn about how to pray Thanksgiving. One thing that we must remember is that David is the one praying this prayer. And David is the one praying it in response to a covenant that God had just made with him. I say that because not everything he says is a promise you can claim. In other words, we, we can't just pray this, you know, pray these words and like, you know, like now they're going to be true to us in every way. God didn't promise to establish my house forever. God didn't promise me that one of my descendants would sit on a throne forever. And so it is important that we, that we understand Scripture in its proper context. However, just because God didn't make thus you know, the Davidic covenant with each and every one of us, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from this passage. And so um, as we look, we want to keep that in mind. Um, 
the first part of praying thankfulness and, and, and praying thankfulness is, it, you know, it, it requires a, a heart of gratitude. It's not just something you do. It's something that is in your heart that comes out of the, the first step of that is acknowledging God's faithfulness. Acknowledging God's faithfulness. And, and that is how David opens this prayer. He says, who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. And, and, and he, he goes on and, and talks about, you know, all of these things that, that God has done for him, just above and beyond, because that is so often how God works in our lives, is it not? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that, that um, him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. Sometimes our lack of gratitude comes from a short-sightedness. Maybe we're in a season when we're, we're going through very difficult trials in our lives, a season of difficulty, and, we, and it's like we can't see past it. And so when we call out to God, we have lost sight of all the things he has done to bring us this far. I think it's so important that we constantly are aware and taking a real look at our lives to see how it was God that brought me to where I am now. Because in doing so, then we find the, the, the courage and the, and the strength and the, 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 the faith in him to realize he hasn't failed me up to this point. How will he fail me going forward? Of course he will not. Um. <clears throat> David reflects on God's faithfulness, bringing him from being a shepherd to being a king. Um, one, of the, one of the passages that we, we look at that is a psalm of David. Okay, so this is one of the things. I'm going to look at a lot of psalms. I have them printed out, so I'm cheating. Um, please don't feel like you've got to turn to all of them unless you just want to, you know, impress the people sitting around you. Um, but, but, you know, David, David was, uh, was a king. He used to be a shepherd, and he had a song in his heart all the time, and he wrote a lot of songs. He was a singer-songwriter. Um, and so we have recorded in the Psalms many, many songs that David wrote, and so many of them are prayers. And so we are, as we look at David's heart of gratitude in praying thankfulness, we're going to look at a lot of um, his psalms and the ways that he did that. So anyway, this is David's master class on praying thankfulness. Uh, but in Psalm 23, we see he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not be in want, I shall not be in need. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is ways that, that David reflects on God's faithfulness in his life. Okay, just pause for a second. Think about David sitting here 
on the throne of Israel, having just received this promise from God that, you know, it's not just you that's going to be king and somebody, you know, might, when you get old, take it from you. No, God is promising someone from your family will sit on the throne forever. Reflect back on David's life. Where do we first meet David? What is David doing when we first meet him? No, before that. He's a shepherd. He's he's the, the youngest brother that when Samuel comes to evaluate, you know, God said, hey, uh, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the king that I have chosen. And um, Samuel shows up and Samuel's, uh, or, and, and, and Jesse, the dad, doesn't even think to call David in. He's like, it's not going to be him. Surely it's going to be one of these strapping young men um, that are, you know, clearly more qualified to be leaders. Not the one that leads, you know, sheep. We meet David, and he is, I'm not, I'm not saying that this was a low-class job. I mean, a lot of people in that part of the world, especially that time, in that time, were shepherds. It was, it was an honorable profession. It's not like he was, I don't know, whatever. It's not like he's a sanitation. Okay, well, I shouldn't say that. Any sanitation workers here this morning? Okay, it's not like he's a sanitation worker. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, that, that's a good point. If you have someone in diapers in your house, you're a sanitation worker. Um, but no, it, it's, it's not like he's, you know, not that, oh man, I shouldn't have even said that. It's not like that's the bottom rung of society. I'm just trying to think of some job that most people look at and think, oh, that's, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. It's not that kind of job necessarily, but it's not exactly king. David reflects back on the last, you know, 10, 15 years of his life and realizes where God has brought him. From the fields as a shepherd, it's not that that's a dead-end job, but like, you know, where it's going is probably more shepherding. You might be a business owner in that you own some of your own sheep, but you're probably still doing that. And God has brought him from there to the, the king's house where he worked for King Saul for so long and then he's on the run and now he's like the leader of this, you know, motley crew of, of warriors from all over the place. Like, how cool is that? And, and it, but, okay, but it wasn't all fun and games. And God brings him through. Now he's like this incredible soldier that leads like the most elite squad in Israel. And then he's this conquering hero and now he's the king. And now God has promised him that his name, his house, the sons of David will be kings forever. That's quite a, uh, that's quite a spread. Acknowledging God's faithfulness in your life up to this point is so important. And David didn't lose sight of how far he had come because of God's work in his life. You know, that we looked at, when, as we were working through 1 Samuel, we, we looked at so many times when God intervened in David's life. If we look at Psalm chapter 18, uh, David writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress. And, and, and he, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. And the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He hadn't lost sight. 
There were so many times that God delivered him. The only way it's possible to explain is God delivered him. Another thing that he does is, is personalize. He, like, it's important for us to do this too, to personalize God's faithfulness. In other words, not just to, because it's one thing to, in the abstract, acknowledge God is a faithful God. He has proclaimed himself to be faithful, and we can look at the fact that his people Israel even still exist. I mean, how many times have, the, you know, enemies, you know, not just the ones like currently shooting rockets at them, but literally their entire existence, people, their next-door neighbors have been trying to wipe them out, and yet they still exist. The only explanation is God. Of course, we know at, in the abstract God is faithful. We read about it in Scripture. It's important that we personalize that and realize God is not just faithful in the abstract. God is faithful to me. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. In Lamentations chapter 3, the prophet Jeremiah writes, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you didn't know, that's where the song comes from. It's important for us all to reflect on our own experiences of God's faithfulness. We need those reminders in front of us all the time. We, we need to have in our minds, God has brought me thus far. Um, Psalm 34, David writes, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Nobody knew that better than David. David took refuge in God all the time. Um, <clears throat> It's important, so we need to personalize it. It's important to remember God's goodness. David wrote in another place, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. When we remember that God is faithful and that he is good, it builds this trust and faith in our own hearts to look to him and to be thankful to him. Um, <clears throat> there are so many ways uh, in Deuteronomy, know therefore, this is in the law, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. David echoes that in his prayer here where he says, um, <clears throat> He says in verse 24, your name will be established and magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And then in verse 26, and now, O Lord, you are God. It's really important for us to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. Wow, that profound things you learned at church this morning, that God is God and you are not, okay? Like, however, how often do we take the reins of our own life 
and decide that we're going to drive this thing until we crash it or until we realize that we actually don't have control and we finally look back to him. He is God and we are not. He is in control and we are not. Anything good that we have comes from him. I think, I don't know if it's worse in America or other places. I've um, rarely traveled outside of the country and, you know, I've never actually lived somewhere else. But there is this mindset I know here in America where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, you know, carve out for ourselves, you know, our own little corner of the world or whatever. There's just, just this, you know, the American dream of, of self-determination and, uh, you know, self-made man all of that, that, that concept that as though we can somehow work hard enough and acquire enough for ourselves that we have provided our own, provided for our own needs and provided our own goodness. But anything good that we have comes only from God. The posture that is required, okay, so, so we look at remembering God's faithfulness, personalizing God's faithfulness, all, all of these things that, that we must do to, to get our perspective right. Our perspective first is God is faithful, has been faithful, will continue to be faithful to all of his people and to me. That ought to produce in us a humble heart. James chapter 4, verse 10, the writer says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We don't exalt ourselves. We don't build for ourselves. God is the one, and we humble ourselves before him. If we look here, starting in verse 20, you know, there is none like you, O Lord. There is no God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? He, he opens this prayer with, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? I, th I think we could just, uh, man, we could stay right there on just that verse and just camp out right there. For a whole week, in our devotional time, just meditating on that verse. Who am I and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? There is a posture and an attitude of humility in which God approaches, or in which David approaches God in thanksgiving. So, so... Thanksgiving is produced by remembering God's faithfulness and that producing humility. Humility, first, we have to acknowledge we did not deserve God's faithfulness. We've not earned God's faithfulness. God is not faithful to us because we're just that good. I mean, you know, look at all the people in the world and, you know, those of us that God is faithful to, man, we've just like, we've really crossed our I's and dotted our T's. Or whichever. Um, it's not important. Um, <clears throat> no wonder I can't read my own writing. Um, you know, we, we, but we, we can easily think, especially, especially if, you know, maybe, maybe God saved you from a life of sin and pulled you out of that and, and now you, you live for him. And after a while of living for him, you kind of forget where God brought you from. 
And you start to think that the goodness of God that you experience is somehow something that you have begun to earn. That now you're getting good from God because you're doing good for God. But that's not really the point. Oh, oh, certainly we should, we should serve God with our whole heart. We, we should want to serve God. We should want to live for him and do what pleases him. But the motivation isn't so that we can get good things from him. Because that's a, that's a selfish and prideful heart. David approaches God with a, with a humble heart that says, who am I? The guy sitting on the throne is saying to God, who am I? The hero they sing songs about, David has killed, that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. That guy is saying, who am I and what is my house? There is a humble posture that God, that David approaches God with. Even in the way that David responds to his sin, we see in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God you will not despise. You know, I don't know about your Bible, but if I turn one page, uh, okay, in, um, not in Chronicles, but the same story gets told in Samuel. And in that story in Samuel, I turn one page and I'm at the David and Bathsheba story. Sin and failure. And after that sin, he wrote those words. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He sees God's faithfulness not only in all the goodness he's received, but in how God has forgiven him of his sin. Let's never lose sight of that. We didn't earn God's goodness. Are you kidding me? Look at where he brought us from. Look at what he continues to forgive in our lives. God is faithful. And that should produce humility in our hearts. Um, there's, a, there's more here than we, like I said, than we have time to unpack. And I, and I want to look at, I, I want to take us back now and look at what, God, what, it is, what is it that God said to David specifically that made him pray this prayer? So, um, at the beginning of chapter 17, if you want to look here, chapter 17 of 1 Chronicles, starting in verse 1. Now, when David lived in his house, so this is literally like very shortly, like David ascends the throne. Um, he, he, he instructs the ark to be brought to, um, to Jerusalem there where, where he is. He, he's, and so, he's like, he's kind of gathering and, and, uh, and living in victory now because... He's kind of one. And now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord, is, for God is with you. David recognized, Hey, there are some priorities out of whack here. This wasn't necessarily his fault. Up at this, I mean, he's living in a house that was already built um, because, you know, he took over as king. He, and, and the ark was somewhere else, uh, having been brought back, you know, rescued back from the 
uh, anyway, it was it was not it was not in Jerusalem. The ark was somewhere else, and they they finally brought it back, and he puts it under a tent because that definitely shouldn't be out in the weather and whatnot. And uh, but he recognizes. Hold on, we can't just quit here because I live in a beautiful house made of cedar, and um, the ark of God is in a tent. David had in his heart to build a house, if you will, for God. To build a place where the Ark of the Covenant of God, which represented the presence of God, in the Ark were the, were the stone tablets from Moses, in the Ark were uh, like a jar full of the manna from the desert. I mean, in the Ark were, were uh, Aaron's staff that like all of a sudden budded. I mean, like things that represented God's miracles and God's faithfulness to his people. And, and God's glory when the, when the temple was founded, like the, it came down and rested right there in a way that represented God's presence living with his people. I dwell in a house of cedar and the ark of God is in a tent. He wanted to build a house for the Lord. And, da- and, and Nathan tells him, do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, verse 3, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Well, that's kind of a kick in the pants, isn't it? David, recognizing God's faithfulness and goodness in, you know, in his life up to this point, has in his heart to do something that represents right priorities. Has in his heart a, a, a thankfulness that wants to act. David's heart of, of gratitude, his heart of thankfulness, like the way that it came out was not just in words. It was, I want to do something. Something tangible, something that other people can see that, that, that represents God's incredible faithfulness in my life. I want to do something for God. And, and God says, it's not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Verse 5, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. And it's not that he used to live in a house, but he hasn't since then. No, it's like at, at no point has God lived in any, some kind of a permanent dwelling here on earth. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? His point is, this isn't something that I've asked for. This is not something that I've demanded. It's not something that I need. Now, therefore, verse 7 here. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. As, uh, and violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. 
from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your, ver one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Okay, David wanted to do something for God. A good thing that he had on his heart. And God says, thanks but no thanks. God says, it's not going to be you. In fact, you want to build me a house? I appreciate that. I'm going to build you a house. His response is only, who am I and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? It's beautiful. It's not... Oh, but I had these like great plans for a really cool temple I was going to build you. He's not in any way disappointed that he didn't get to do the thing that he wanted to do for God. No, it, it, it comes out only in humility. I mean, God is like uh, the ultimate one-up. Oh, you want to build me a house? No, I'm not even going to let you build me a house. I'm going to build you a house that lasts forever. That, the house, that is your name, your family name will be established forever. We just looked at, if, if, you, if you've been with us um, and, and following our, our messages, we've been in Hebrews, and th some of these verses may be very familiar to you. As we looked at how Jesus is better than David in the book of Hebrews, we, re we read these same things. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. I will establish his throne forever. That is talking about Jesus, the descendant of David, who would sit on the throne forever. I, I, I want to close with this thought. There is a difference between a grateful attitude and a debtor's attitude. And let me explain what I mean. Our, <clears throat> and I want to close with this point. God, in his faithfulness, has come to us. God's presence that would come down and dwell within the camp of his people Israel. And then God's presence in the temple, in the, in the middle of the nation, in the, in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. God's, God dwelt with his people in a symbolic way. But there would come a time when God would put skin on and literally dwell with his people. 
in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that, that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, existing from the very beginning, from eternity before time, puts skin on and enters creation and lives as a man, a perfect life, dies on the cross for your sin and mine, is raised from the dead, now sits at the right hand of the Father, his throne established forever. And in doing so, makes forgiveness of sins available to each one of us. Now, if you have accepted that gift, if you have had your sins forgiven before Almighty God because of the work of Jesus Christ, it would seem that you owe a debt to God you could never repay, right? That's one way to look at it, but Scripture encourages us to view it this way. What we owe Him is gratitude. Because what He gave us was a gift. Well, certainly, He purchased us with the blood of His Son from the kingdom of darkness and set us free that we are now part of the kingdom of light, his kingdom. But we're not commanded by Scripture to, to have this attitude of a debtor. What I mean by that, there's different ways to say this. And so, because, oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. It's true. That's one of the old hymns that we sing. It's true. God has done a, an amazing thing for us and we could never repay him. But, but, the, but the debtor is required to repay. Right? The person who has borrowed is required to return to the one he borrowed from the amount that he borrowed. And that is not what God has required of us. The work to secure our pardon is full and complete in Jesus Christ. And what is given to us in our forgiveness is a gift. The proper response is not, is not an attitude that says, I now must do for God to repay him for what he's done for me. That's not what he's asked us. He, he has asked us to live in response, thankfulness. Gratitude. And now here's the thing. The way that those two things play out in our lives, the way that they might look to any other observer, might be almost the same. That the person who is, who is striving to repay God for the goodness that he has received, and the person who is living out an attitude of thankfulness to God, those two things may look the same, but the, but the heart is very different. And God looks at the heart. And God cares deeply about our motivations behind what we do. Our, our passage of confession this morning from, from Isaiah um, spoke so richly to that, and I lost it, so that's fine. Um, but so, speaks so richly to that about how God is saying, you're going through all these motions, but I, I, like, I don't care about that. I want your heart. God didn't ask us to repay him. God asks us to live in thankful humble, grateful response as his children. 
We are entering the season of Advent, which culminates with Christmas, in which we will give gifts to one another and... It would be really weird if you gave someone a really, really nice gift and they insisted on repaying you for it, because that's not how gifts work. But it would also be really weird if you gave someone a really nice gift and they rolled their eyes at you and went on enjoying that gift and never breathed a word of gratitude in response. It's so important for us to cultivate in our hearts an attitude that remembers God's faithfulness to us that produces humility to acknowledge God's goodness in thankfulness. Humility is required. Remembering God's faithfulness is required if we're going to have thankful hearts. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Your goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. There's so much of David's prayers that we can echo, and we're so thankful that you recorded for us in your word so many examples of how to pray thankfully. God, cultivate in the soil of our hearts a seed of humility that constantly grows, that constantly reminds us we don't earn what we've got, what we've received from you. We don't deserve what we receive from you, and that's not the point. Well, actually, that that is the point, that we receive from you what we don't deserve because you are gracious, not because we are great. Thank you for your faithful love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.